0: We, with the power of our minds unified, can create what we call miracle. And I've been thinking about miracles a lot lately. What is the science of miracle? And in a very simple way, when we come together as one heart and one mind, we create miracle. We create what we thought was impossible because our energies come together in that way. And then we manifest it or we bring it, we dream it into being. In order to do that, we need to gain control over our own energies enter yoga helps us to control our energies so for those practitioners who are looking for you know that pathway forward stay strongly committed to your practice
1: welcome to a curious yogi podcast I'm your host, Bobby, and these are my conversations with Sadhaks, satsangis, and other spiritual seekers. Join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path. Each week, you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious welcome back to the show curious listeners i'm so delighted that you're back and this week's show is very very special it's my total honor and joy to introduce melina dawn a queer Cree metis woman who weaves together the world of indigenous wisdom and yogic knowledge melina is a drum carrier a song catcher and loves to share ceremony through indigenous traditional and futurism teachings she is a strong voice for decolonizing wellness by teaching us how to use indigenous ways of life appropriately and as medicine for healing physically emotionally mentally and spiritually which i definitely experienced today today Today, Melina is creating healing spaces for in-person and online yoga classes, retreats, ceremonies, workshops, and trainings all over Turtle Island. She has spent the last 15 years working with Indigenous, non-Indigenous, and LGBTQ2S plus youth. She continues to work with people of all ages and walks of life to guide them to the reclamation of their own culture, identity, body, and healing through a strength-based, trauma-informed lens. Melina is passionate about sharing her culture, building bridges in community, emotional intelligence, and honoring the interconnectedness of all creations. Honestly, this episode is jam-packed. With Melina's brilliant perspective openness and overall kindness and on a personal note I just want to share that this conversation touched me so deeply like she said it's the medicine which has helped me heal as I explore my own ignorance and misunderstanding of the indigenous teachings which I grew up so close to geographically but so far from in true understanding So this unlearning of a colonialist mindset brings up a lot of raw shame and embarrassment for me, and I've only recently begun to process, especially as one who is quote-unquote a spiritual being. So for me, this conversation was a real place of healing, and for that, I'm totally thankful. And if you're a listener tuning in from Canada or anywhere on Turtle Island or North America, or even a place with strong Indigenous history, this episode will support the illumination and celebration of the spiritual oneness which we can all learn from. Please, please, please enjoy this wonderful episode. I am so excited to share it with you. So, welcome back to A Curious Yogi. I would love to start this very special episode by first acknowledging the traditional lands of Treaty 7, upon which I currently live, work, play, practice, and very gratefully rest. I'd like to, sorry.
0: Let it come. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, just drop into that for a moment. (laughs) Thank you. Mm in our circles with my elder we always um welcome the sacred water she always says if there's watershed in the circle it's a real honor and it's a real blessing to have that water show up so
1: yeah a few weeks ago an elder said to me too that tears are medicine and i try to remember that
0: yeah and they're big messengers too
1: yeah thank you (laughs) Hey, <laughs> I, also, I, I also really want to acknowledge and honor my friends and neighbors of the Kainai, Pagani, and Siksika Nation, otherwise known as the Blackfoot Confederacy, as well as the Metis people of Region 3 of the Metis Nation of Alberta. Mm-hmm. So with that, thank you, Melina. And thank you for being here on this show. I really am so excited to have you here. Thank
0: you. Yeah, I'm honored to be here and have a little conversation with
1: you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of admiration and respect for the way in which you show up. Uh, I mean, I only have connected with you online in classes and on social media, but just the way that you show up with such fierce integrity, but also such as gentleness and a softness from your heart, it's, it's really beautiful. So I just want to start by acknowledging you for that. Thank you. <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. So I have a beautiful bio in front of me, which I will offer to the listeners, but I would love if you would begin by just telling us who you are in the spiritual sense and how your journey began and brought you to this point.
0: Sure, yeah. Um, well, Nisi and Molina, my name is Malina, um, Fort Smith Ochi, I'm from Fort Smith, um, traditional territory of the Dene, uh, the Métis and the Salt River First Nation, otherwise known as um, Northwest Territories. Um, in uh, Canada and my, my grandparents are Seraphine and John Evans um, on my mom's side and John and Marguerite Reem on my dad's side um, and I was born and raised on uh, Treaty 4 territory in Saskatchewan Was raised on the prairies with those big skies. And I have always been very connected to the spirit world. And as long as I can remember, um, I've always felt a deep connection to land and to sky. And I've always been very sensitive and very creative. And so I tend to identify as a sensitive and a creative these days. Um, Through that, I think, you know, it's just been my karma in this life to walk the path that I'm on. It's all happened very naturally and very organically. Um, My mom would say that I marched to the beat of my own drum, and she's always said that as long as I can remember. And, um, you know, it's, It's a long story, of course, all of us have long stories to why we got to this, this moment here, but I could feel early on, maybe the later stages of um, high school, that there was something that was really calling me inside, and I had no idea, no name, no understanding of what that was, but there was something that was calling me, and I graduated high school and I went out into the world excitedly because I'm uh, quite an adventurous uh, being as well. I have a Sagittarius rising, <laughs> and um, I just found myself following kind of the the wind and where spirit beckoned me. It's it's the way I've always navigated life, um, rather than thinking that I have to do a certain thing or follow a certain program, I follow the voice of spirit. And so I did end up in the big city after I graduated in Calgary, Alberta. and I met I met my what would be my first boyfriend there and he had yoga books on his um, on his shelf. And I picked them up and I started leaping through them and I thought, oh my gosh this is incredible because it just had this language to it that helped me to understand what I was already experiencing at the age of 17. It gave me a different lens into the world. And I saw the, the world through energy and I, I saw it through spirit. I felt it emotionally. And this here was just this whole system and language to describe what I was experiencing. And so I was, it was quite profound, um, and so I started reading these books. I started practicing the asana. Um, I was a bit uh, nomadic at, at that stage of my life. So I remember living in a Westphalia van for a while tree planting, and I would practice yoga in the van in the pouring rain on the West Coast, like I would just do yoga anywhere because it, it just got into me really quick. So I continued to follow that as I traveled around the world. And as I traveled around the world, I was really drawn to culture, to many different people's culture, you know, South America. um, I did make it over to India at a certain point. Um, And I just. It was it was a long winding road that I would come to understand in later years, but eventually I was practicing yoga intermittently through, through all of my journeys, like it wasn't a uh, full on practice right from the get go, it was like, just like little seeds, and then I would return to it, or I would find a teacher or I'd find a studio and you know, it would come and go. Um, but in the in the interim, I would be traveling around and experiencing all these different ways of life and eventually my mid-20s I ended up back in um, my homelands where my my mom was raised by my kukum and my mushum so up in in the territories and up there I ended up running into well meeting my elder again by the by the will of the creator and my karma thank god and I sat in my first drum circle and when I sat in that drum circle and I heard the heartbeat drum it just hit my heart and the vibration of that drum felt like home inside of me and I suddenly I realized in that moment and then in time to come that I was traveling the world uh, experiencing all these different cultures looking for my own which I did not even realize was in my own blood I was looking for my blood my my roots experiencing other people's cultures and the reason this happened this way, of course, is because of the effects of colonization, contact with Canada, settlers in Canada, um, the residential schools and how they've impacted my family, how it impacted how I was raised as Christian. So much of my Indigenous um rooted medicine and teachings were I wasn't raised with them but I felt it in my blood and I know that's what I was feeling now when I was young and I was still in school and I was living on the farm it was my blood that was beckoning me forward to come back to like that union with my culture and and so I met her and over the course of the last you know decade or maybe 12 years now something like that um I have started to learn the teachings and she's mentored me and she's helped me greatly with uh, struggles that I went through my life through the teachings. Um, and, and through that, as I continued my yoga journey, and it's been a long one, right? So I was 17. So it's been over 20 years now that I've been exploring and practicing yoga and being a student of it. Um In the last, I would say, just few years, just the last few years, certain things have started to crystallize in me as I sat long enough in ceremonies with my elder and other elders and our traditional ways of healing and sat long enough in the fire of the yoga practice uh, so that it would transform me, my mind. Now, in the last few years, I've started to see, oh... These systems are so interesting because there are many ways that they are parallel and they are very deeply complementary. And so that's kind of, that's just been a natural, uh, the natural journey for me. And uh, so I'm just in this continuous exploration and curiosity of how do the two paths intersect? How do the teachings complement each other? And how do we hack? the body mind system with the medicine from both paths how do we find the ones that work for us you know so it was a very um I just keep saying karmic because I really don't you know it's not in my hands it's in the creator's hands the way that my life has unfolded I've made choices for sure but uh I feel like it was just always meant to be you know my my indigenous blood, and then coming into the indigenous ways. That is actually the yoga path. Yoga is rooted in indigenous ways and in land. And so now here I am at this amazing intersection with these two paths, and I walk in both worlds, and I'm just learning how to how to weave them together and keep learning about them. And um, that's I guess that's just been the natural evolution.
1: Mm-hmm. Of- Yeah, it's so interesting, like as I've been starting to learn and read more about indigenous ways, like seeing the similarities after I've also been practicing yoga for almost 20 years and practicing this like Indian way and traveling to India and like learning the indigenous ways of India and then coming back to Alberta where I grew up and realizing That all along I grew up, I felt so disconnected from spirit. I didn't connect with Christianity. But then meanwhile, like on this land that I live and like 30 minutes away, there is this spiritual thought and way of connecting and relating that seems so much more real in a way. And so it's kind of like all new to me, like learning the connection of yoga and Indigenous ways, and I don't know anything of like really about Indigenous ways. So I'm wondering if you can just speak to that a little bit. Like, what is the overarching view of Indigenous worldview and spiritual thought? Mm, Yeah, yeah, well, when it comes, so
0: this, this is an interesting conversation, because when I say Indigenous ways of being, I am referring to the culture and the bloodline that I come from. And I'm also referring to yoga because the OG yogis really caught the spirit and the science of the practice by communing deeply with the land and with the elements. And I didn't know that for a long time until I found teachers that, that taught me more about the history and because Um, I have had experience with some of our ceremonies now, like sitting on the land. Some people call them vision quests, but we just call it a fast. We just sit on the land. Um, Because I've had experiences of what it's like to be in deep communion with the land and what actually happens uh, within yourself and how you journey spiritually when you're in these ceremonies I made that connection, that connection with the, with the OG yogis, as I like to call them, the ones that were just uh, sitting and receiving the teachings. Because in my culture, we believe that the medicine is it's stored in creation. It's stored in the the land. It's stored in the tree people and the stone people and the sky. And all of our relatives are carrying uh, medicine and teachings. And it's, I guess, the Indigenous way of being is understanding that we're connected to that. And we learn how to open ourselves and become receptive uh, to form um, a relationship relationship with everything in creation. and as we form that relationship with creation, which requires learning a different language because nature has a different language than humans have. The trees have a different language. the rocks have a different language. All of our little our furry relatives and our flying relatives and our swimming relatives they have a different language than English. And so it requires us to learn uh, what that language is so that we have a conversation and then we learn from one another. And that, that is a big part of Indigenous ways of being, you know, our worldview really is centered on the circle, the sacred hoop of life and finding our place in the sacred hoop. Our teachings are centered on um, all of the circle teachings like belonging, equality, nobody is greater or lesser than anyone else. So it's not hierarchical in that way. Um, and by finding our place, that place of belonging, then it creates this, I would say this like secure attachment to uh, community and to self and to family. And then when we have that secure attachment, getting into attachment theory a little bit here, um, then our nervous system gets more regulated. And then when we have a regulated nervous system, then we can really walk the talk. We can really walk the teachings. We can walk steady within ourselves. So our teachings are really, um, the indigenous teachings, I would say like from my culture and my understanding of it, teach us how to be in connection with ourself, with each other and with the land. They're also centered in reciprocity and um, generosity of spirit and resources. Um, it's like we have these instructions for how to live in harmony with the earth and with community and how to build systems that are based on those foundational teachings, which again, returns always to the circle that is ever, you know, moving moving in that direction. And my, my um, elder always says, May we walk with respect, with honor, with courage, and with love for everything in creation, including ourselves. So those are, I would say, a few of our, like the belief systems and and the worldview that we're here with each other, we belong with each other, and we're stronger together, you know, and um, if we can walk in that way, we can support each other, and we can build um. A, a better working system that supports us and that supports the generations to come. So, yeah, th- that's the, those are some of the first thoughts that come to mind.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking of when you were expressing yourself as disconnected when you were younger, and then you, you became reconnected to these teachings. And in what way are the teachings supportive of like the healing and the reconnection and the remembering of self for your own experience and then like for the community as a large. Well, I, I think
0: like the answer is in the question, really, it's the teachings, Mm. teachings. And that's the same for yoga is there are foundational teachings that help us to remember that we are connected and that i mean really it's just, it's really as simple as that when you go to the teachings you know ceremony ceremony is one of the things i would say that really changed my my life in a really big way because when you sit in ceremony guided by either you know the teacher or the elder in in our ways you know we sit in a circle and there's something about ceremony that opens up this uh, spiritual space, the spiritual place, that vibration and that energy, that portal or that doorway. And then it's not just the teachings, but it's also the transmission of where they're coming from in this case my elder who's been on the path for much longer than me who's been immersed in the culture in ways that I wasn't immersed in the culture and the transmission from her to me is also what um what connected me to the teachings so the teacher or the elder is oh so important that transmission piece is so important because this is how we pass the teachings we pass them vibrationally to one another from our our spiritual energetic you know pathways what we have downloaded and experienced through the teachings or the science and also through our nervous system because our nervous systems speak to each other the same way that underground the roots of trees they have this communication uh it's the same thing with people so that is, I would say, those were some of the, the the openings or the connection pieces for me was finding ceremony, meeting my elder whom I trusted, who did not have any kind of agenda towards me, you know, so it was a very safe relationship. I think that's also very important to state because when you're dropping into a place of connection to self and to community and to spirit, it's really important to feel safe, um, on all levels, because you're being guided further down the path by, by this person, right. Or by the, by the teachings. And then from there, you know, walking the teachings really means, um, for me, one of, one of the biggest things is being part of the community or the culture and, um, and also helping to create and keep the culture and the community alive and and just like lit, you know.
1: Yeah, and I definitely see you as someone that like holds that torch for not only Indigenous people but also for yogis or anybody that's um, sort of attracted or turned on to living in a wholesome, connected, related way. So I think that's really amazing when you were speaking about. Learn um, meeting your teacher and your elder and having that connection it did make me think of the guru shishya relationship in india which in the western mindset or in the western um, culture there's not this like respect for like elder or wise one and student it's really like disconnected in a way and a lot of people misunderstand it and i think it's so beautiful and important that we all have a wise person that's walking this path that's giving us teachings and wisdom and love like you said in that safe, sp- safe place and, and I just see that it's just something that's it's very misunderstood in this mm-hmm. in western mindset like we should have to as if, figure everything out on our own but it's like you, you have a, you wouldn't go to like medical school and not have a professor. So how can we, how could we try to navigate the complexities, the chaos of life without having a wise one before us to say, you know, you're doing, you know, kind of coaching us along.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, it really is. It really is an important piece. And I think this, this, Connects into the overarching conversation many of us are having nowadays around colonization in that program, mm-hmm. um, and how it has caused disturbance in lineage. Because when I like when I met my elder, I hadn't had an experience of um, a teacher or a mentor or a guide like that before, and there's something very special. About that relationship, it is—it's like how Ramdas talks about Neen Karoli Baba. You know, it's just—I oh, just got shivers.
1: I did too. <laughs> yeah,
0: because—and that's what it is. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's a very particular type of relationship, and it's also not an easy one. It's not meant to be easy. They are not there to coddle you. And I mean, depending on what culture and what teachings and what their karma is, you know, it's all going to come through differently, but it is a type of love that is rooted in liberation that they hold for you because they want you to evolve through the, the darkness, through the shadows, through the challenges and, and draw those teachings forward that are very clear. They're trying to transmit the teachings in the clearest way possible so that the medicine from the teachings is always, um, it has that potency when you pass them on. In order to do that, your vessel, your mind and your heart needs to be in a certain place your, so that your ego is in check, And you're really coming from a place of service. And so in order to like, to be in that place, you need to be humbled. And that is the role of a teacher upon a student is to give them unconditional love, but also to humble them and show them where they're walking in ways that are not serving themselves or serving creation. It is a a very... um, Yeah, a very challenging relationship and a very fruitful one at the same time. So I think it takes the type of person to be a student in a relationship like that. It takes great courage and you have to be able to humble yourself. You also have to be able to think and feel critically, you know, not just follow blindly um, it, it is a, a reciprocal relationship, right? We're not just there just to listen to them and not to listen to our spirit because the teacher is meant to help you attune to your spirit, to your karma and to your dharma. And I think because over the past few hundred years, it's really, we've, we've taken this program of domination and self um, to the point of almost self extinction just extracting resources and violence and like all of these these programs that are running the show right now people find humility very hard to access um it's running in in um yeah it's it's hard to find that these days and Because we don't, we're not running on the program of the circle teachings, we're running on the program of the the hierarchy teachings. Those aren't, they don't fit together. So someone thinks, oh, I have to like follow a teacher. No, I know what I'm doing. I know myself best. There's this self-importance. That is rooted in these, you know, this colonized way of being. There is this individuality is really highly revered. Becoming somebody, which again reminds me of Ramdas's teachings of become nobody. You know, so like the teachings go in very much the opposite direction from the place that we have now found ourselves um, in the overculture of Earth, and I do think that there. There is, um, so there's just a lot of like misinformation and misunderstanding and, and ignorance, just ignorance for the sake of ignorance. Like people don't know what they don't know about this the teacher-student relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautifully expressed. Yeah, like my teacher, really, he would say that the source of like all unease is like when we open our eyes as a human being, we only see two when actually if we know ourselves, we know one. But just like you said, the, the world that we live in now, because of colonization, it's all about division and duality, me and you, this is mine, that's yours. And that never like resonated with me. And I think because it all it is also like, a kind of surface and slightly shallow and not to like say, to put negativity on people but like you said ignorance ignorance is bliss kind of you know and to live in this kind of shallow way I guess you can kind of keep chipping along but there's a separation of self when we live in that way and it does cause disharmony in the being and I know for myself in the past it's caused so much disharmony that we seek to other things to pacify that like drugs like alcohol like dependencies, all those things that we look, seek outside of ourselves to pacify that sense of separation and come back to that sense of unity. And how amazing it is it to connect with a teacher or a community that's reminding us, no, you're not separate. Like it's all, we are all connected in this. And for me, that was like the teachings of yoga, that part of it, that vision of oneness really Uh, comforted me against against that like always a sense of separation mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. it actually also made me think I'm reading um Gabor Mate's new book and Mm -hmm. in it in like one paragraph he talks about the um the greeting of all my relations as an elder described it to him and then in a couple sentences later, he talks about the Bhagavad Gita and the relationship of Krishna and Arjun. And I was like, that is so beautiful to see, you know, we have these ancient, timeless teachings and stories and it all these, but it all is leading us to that same sense of oneness, interconnectedness, you know, it's so beautiful. Like, mm-hmm. where have you really seen it jump out the? the connectedness of the yogic teachings and the indigenous teachings?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's laced throughout both systems because both systems are ultimately about connection to everything in creation and um, the mind. So the mind by itself, it gets these shadows right? It can, it can get dark and convince us of all of these things that I am separated. I am alone. And I'm in this by myself, this earth walk thing. And then the yoga teachings, they, they light the the flame, the, the fire. And it's like, no, actually we're, we're connected. And um, oh gosh, I mean, I think that one of the places that I have arrived at at this point in my journey that highlights that the most is uh, is the breath, actually. The breath is, I would say, hands down, the most potent medicine that we have accessible to all of us on earth, the breath. Because through the breath, what I've experienced, and we call it pranayama in yoga, for anyone who doesn't know that, um, the breath, and I hear it in, in elders that, that speak their prayers into the circles that I'm in, the breath connects us to our ancestors and it connects us to those who are coming next down the path, and In my practice of pranayama, or what we might call breath work, I have experienced such deep connection to myself, my ancestors, all of the relatives that I share this earth walk with, the creator, my guides, everything. I have found everything in that breath. And... I think like the elements themselves the way that we connect with the elements in the yoga system and in the indigenous culture and that's where they're um, they run parallel in in my observations the breath of course which I just spoke about which is the air or the wind prana the life force that we're extracting from it and mind and now I'm kind of like sort of get into the the medicine wheel a little bit so we have four parts to our being mind is one of them right and we use the breath and the prana to clear the mind so we can see uh, that oneness that vision of peace and liberation and connection to self so this is one aspect of our being that we find the next one and this is in no particular order is the the fire element which we can call spirit We can also find, you know, in the niyamas, the the tapas or the, you know, that that discipline, that will power to practice that so that we can merge our personal will with the creator's will. We find that in that that fire and the fire is also this place of remembering our spirit, like in in the teachings that I've received. Um, And then we go to earth, which in the yogic teachings, we're working with our body and keeping this vessel really strong and really clear. So again, the teachings can come through in a, in a good way. And also of course, working with earth, with land itself and, um, feeling and knowing the connection that I am the earth and the earth is my body, that we are really not separated. We come from it and we return to it. And then the, uh, the last one is the, the water, the element of water, which really gives us great teachings around not only strength, but receptivity and sensitivity. And how do we deal with our emotional world? Because our emotions are such a powerful force. And in, in the indigenous teachings, the emotion like what happened earlier in, in our space here, the emotion is such a, a place of honoring because the emotion is uh, it gives us messages from the rest of from the rest of our being. It helps us to digest our life experience. it gives us a space to grieve, it gives us a space to feel our joy and our excitement. And with our yoga teachings, we learn how to bring those energies under control as well and how to like, just learn what it means to transmute and, um, find a harmonious way to flow through all of these parts of our beings and all of the elements. So it really, for me, it does come down to, um, to those, those parts in this moment at least. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, I want to go back to, to the breath work, because to quote you, like when we had messaged on email, you said that the breath work, I think, was the quantum leap. It created a quantum leap in your life, um, in your healing and in your journey. I'm wondering if you could just speak a little bit to what practices of breath that you use and how specifically they've helped that transformation or that expansion in your in your own life.
0: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so as I said, I've been a student of yoga for over 20 years. And some of that path has been, you know, intermittent and more sparse. And some of it's been more intense and, and condensed and focused. Um, but a big, I think the way that the yogic teachings are being shared and transmitted, like the yoga path, it's Uh, very heavily centered on asana the shapes the physical postures Um, and we're starting to realize that as a collective which is great that's starting to shift in our awareness that it's not just all about the the, you know the yoga the practice the fitness practice Um, and so of course I was exposed to that for for many years and excuse me the The philosophy, very, very important to study, you know, Svadhyaya, self-study, study study of the sacred texts, and really understand what the the foundational teachings are there. Um, And so I've been, like, I would say most of my practices were really centered in the the philosophy, the Yamas, the Niyamas, and Asana. Now, if you look at the eight-limb system, we have Yama, Um, how we connect with, you know, other or collective and the universe. And then we have the Niyama, which is our personal disciplines, our inner practices. And then we have Asana, which is really meant to help the body to become comfortable so we can find comfortable seated meditation. And then after that, we have Pranayama. And then Pranayama then leads to concentration and then meditation and then, you know, Samadhi and that whole thing. But about two and a half years ago, beginning of the pandemic is what happened. I sat with a friend who, who gave breathwork practices and I sat with him and it was all online. And I was having these very profound experiences in it. And it was like, it just turned a key, like it turned a lock inside my, my brain and my nervous system, most importantly. And so I took those practices as as you do as a yogi because we are experiential scientists and I just dove into it and I started practicing it at first it was like once a week or maybe twice a week like it took a while for me to find the discipline within myself without needing a guide um so I went through that for a a few months several months probably kind of, like, anchoring back into the friend that was holding the spaces, learning about it, and then when I could, practicing it. And my practice developed, um, you know, it's one of my favorite things is, like, I feel like people want the fruits, and so they try to be everything all at once, you know, like asana. People think that if you don't practice two hours every day, you're not getting the most out of the practice, you know. And so, what I did is, I started just committing to practicing five minutes a day. Just sit down at my altar, breathe for five minutes, and just the Ujjayi breath, the victorious breath, right? And we put on a little timer. Especially this is really good, especially for anyone who's listening that really has a hard time sitting, who really wants to meditate, who can't just start really small. If you can't do five minutes, do three minutes, you know, but it's all about finding that consistency and, and committing. And then through that, you, you develop your discipline or your willpower to, to find the pathway inside. So I did that over a number of months. And then those practices, they organically grew and they grew and they grew And I was having such profound experiences. So a little aside, I've sat in many medicine ceremonies in my past, especially with um, the grandmother medicine known as ayahuasca, had a whole journey with that medicine. And in these spaces of pranayama, it was bringing me into what I call medicine space, places that I've been with plant medicines that I've never accessed in any other way, but the breath was taking me there. It was taking me into places where I could receive communication from the spirit world, um, visions, very clear visions of that, the great vision of yoga, of world peace, of liberation. Um, It was really, it's like it was cleaning my sight in such a deep way and i was suddenly seeing through spirit and i was seeing through my heart this is what was happening in my pranayama practice at the same time because the breath works so deeply with the nervous system depending on which which practices you use you can go in either direction you can go into the sympathetic nervous system or you can go into the parasympathetic nervous system Um, because it works so deeply with the nervous system, it was going into mine. And I was having these very deeply healing experiences where I would have like cathartic uh, releases through crying, like really deep crying, you know, that crying that you do when you're grieving, you know, when there's losses, there were all these things that were just like being housed in my being that I had walked through in this life. And the breath, Like a laser could go in and find these things, these places, these memories, these experiences, bring them up into my system and into my awareness. And then I could process and integrate them. And then, and I love to say, instead of letting go, I don't really like that term. So I don't know if that's actually the truth. I believe in integration. So the stuff that was coming up into my system, I had a chance to revisit, I had a chance to feel everything I needed to feel, the anger, the sadness, the forgiveness, the compassion, shed a lot of tears. And then it suddenly became integrated into my system and it wasn't something I was walking with anymore in in like a painful way. So I was having this simultaneous experience of digging really deep into my own traumas and finding a really gentle, effective way of integrating them into my being and being shown this spiritual vision of yoga, this this peace and my dharma, my purpose, my place and how to bring this peace into being. So it was very, very profound. And in that time, it helped me to just see the path ahead, and all the steps that I needed to take in order to fulfill my particular Dharma. And to this day, I sit now every single day, Uh, it is now like an established uh, pattern and routine in my sadhana. And I can bring any question, any struggle, any curiosity into that space, and often find those answers, the answers that that I need to find in order to move through whatever I'm moving through or download what I need to download. It's been the greatest hack I have ever found or discovered in my life. And I think that it's a depth that has not been properly passed down for some reason. And I'm still exploring and and being curious about why that's not happening in the yoga system. Um, I think there are many reasons for it, but I am like so deeply grateful for the breath and the prana and the pranayama because it really has changed my life in only, you know, two and a half years. I'm a very different person. I'm the same, but I'm also Mm -hmm. different and I'm a lot clearer and it's what I love now. And what I'm centering more of my teachings and my practices on, I want to bring people into the, into those places. So Mm -hmm. quantum leap (laughs) big time.
1: Yeah. Wow. I also have a daily pranayama practice, but I haven't experienced quite what you've experienced. So it's good motivation for me to keep practicing daily. Kind of perfectly leads into my next question, which you expressed yourself as a sensitive being, which I love that because I'm also a sensitive being. And and I also love the emphasis that you put on your daily sadhana. I also am so just... I treasure my own daily practice so much and I love to see that you advocate for that for yourself and for your students and your community as something to help navigate the intensity of not only being a sensitive person but just a person a human being on this planet like for me my sadhana is such an anchor like I'm so thankful for it so obviously your breath work is a part of your daily sadhana what other practices do you have that really help you anchor every day and And what does that look like for you?
0: Yeah, well, my... There was something that I heard in ceremonies over the years. And they always said, you know, you're in like the ceremony, the actual space where you're doing the practices. And then they would say, but the real ceremony happens after you leave ceremony. The real ceremony is life. And I think that when we say sadhana... Part of my sadhana is to sit down every morning at my altar. I light my candles. I have my pictures of my teachers and my ancestors there. Um, breath work, pranayama, is my central piece of my sadhana. But then that leads into prayer or, um, it depends what the breath work kind of brings or what my, my goal is of that day. And sometimes it is about prayer. Sometimes it's about processing emotion. Sometimes it's about being in that space of gratitude. Um, and sometimes it's about being in that deep, calm, silent meditation space after. So I let it be like, I'm not as as rigid as I used to be I'm I still have like a good degree of discipline which one might call rigidity in my day but I also have this openness to letting the medicine do what it's meant to do it's kind of a delicate balance between the two so (laughs) depending on what I'm needing what I'm personally going through what the collective is going through um, what's happening in the cosmos Mm -hmm. Uh, that determines what I do in my sadhana, okay? Because every day that I wake up is a new day and some days I need a lot more grounding. Some days I need to process emotion. Some days I just need to drop into that deep calm for the sake of myself and for the sake of the collective, especially when things are really intense. So that's like one piece, I would say, of my sadhana is I do that. Then what I do is I tend to just create little rituals and little like altar type spaces all through my day because I'm often home uh, working on on all of the things that I need to do and so when I sit down to light some medicine you know I light a candle and then I light the medicine and I just spend some moments with that medicine that's also part of my sadhana but it's also it's a way of life You know, I'll sit down and I'll do some writing. That's part of my sadhana because it's also tied to my dharma. It's tied to the visions that came through when I was, you know, sitting in my sadhana. So my sadhana is these moments of like focused attention. And then the sadhana becomes a a continuous stream moving out into my day and how I conduct myself the relationships I'm cultivating, the classes I'm teaching, the community that I'm a part of, everything becomes the sadhana, it becomes the walk and the way of life. So um, I would say that's sort of, I guess, my experience of what sadhana is for me at this point. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's beautiful to hear how like inspired it is. And Before, when we were talking a little bit about meditation and you suggested to someone that's starting, like, just start five minutes. I know for some people to begin on this journey, we kind of do need a bit of that discipline, like the tapasya, which you mentioned as well, to, like, start to build the structures and the tools. But as the practice matures and as the being evolves, which, you know, you're obviously, I know it's not linear, but along on your path, um, we begin to... Expand the awareness of like what do we actually need, but it's it's so amazing to have the the foundations and the practices and the principles and the eight limbs. It's all kind of lined out for us, and it's a good place to start. But it's nice to hear you express how the more and more we practice that and show up with the discipline, that it becomes softer, and we just get to live it. And like how everything is your sadhana, and that's just such a beautiful expression. I'm wondering if you can talk, we can talk a little bit about how someone that's on a spiritual path or on a yogic path, specifically someone that's spiritually inclined, meditator, yogi, can begin to, um, is there a space for someone to learn or integrate the Indigenous teachings for one that's a non-Indigenous person? like? What can that look like? Like, how can I learn the teachings from my neighbors and appreciate them or practice them in a way that's not respectful or appropriate, if that makes sense?
0: Mm. Uh, the burning question in our collective consciousness right now. <laughs> <laughs> This is definitely a hot topic these days. Really?
1: Okay. So I'm I'm on point with probably a lot of <laughs> others. I think it's it, because for me, like I think I'm learning, I study, I live yoga, I go to India, I live yoga. And it's a different, obviously, it's a different culture than indigenous ways. But I'm seeing so many beautiful things. And I'm wondering, like, is there a space for me to like, dig deeper into that as a way of healing myself? And as I'm le- learning to unlearn and uncolonize my mind like it seems like such a beautiful way to like perhaps look at that with that lens yeah I mean I think
0: that one of the tricks to navigating this complex space in this intersection of because we're sharing cultures and we're now becoming more aware of like, oh, what is appropriating this culture and what is appreciating this culture? What do I have permission to practice? What do I have permission to share? You know, it's, it's a complex space. And, and I see all of us really asking those questions and trying to unpack them. Um, I think that what's important to remember is that the teachings are for all of us. medicine is for all of us like the yoga system is here to help all of us and these indigenous teachings are here to help all of us too where we run into trouble is when our either our wounded self or our ego says i don't need any permission i can do whatever i want there's um illusions in the mind that they think that they know and then they take the teachings they run with them they create their own thing they sell them um they just it's very self and selfish focused so that's where we run into trouble right and now you're not walking in right relationship to the teachings um but the earth we are all children of this earth we all come from it We all return to it. So if you want to get in touch with Indigenous ways of being, like if you're a non-Indigenous person, you're not going to be starting to teach about the Indigenous teachings um, unless in very rare cases you've been working with an elder for many years and they happen to pass those teachings on to you and you get permission from them through many, many, many years. It does happen every now and then. Okay. But if you can go back to the earth itself, just go back to the earth because the earth doesn't belong to anybody. It's, it's here, you know, we all belong to her. So I think that remembering how to center yourself in, in earth and in land and connection to it in that way, that very way is indigenous and available to all of us, which means spending time, you know, doing that. And for some people, some people might be able to dig back into their own roots and their own ancestry to find what ways um, their ancestors did connect with, with earth and earth-based teachings. And it's, you know, it's something that I think it happened for me where I found my way back to my culture. And then I wove those teachings into, the yogic ones, and I don't see any reason why other people can't do that if they go back to their culture and they learn how to find that pathway, that pathway in, you know, bringing both of them together. Now, it's not easy because many of our roots have been cut, and it does take tenacity. It takes grit to go back and to really learn and to get back into um, our roots, but it's possible at the same time. So it's kind of like I would say, you know, you can read certain books about Indigenous ways of being and um, you can take certain teachings that you you've really gleaned from somebody maybe that that shares these teachings that you sit with and you can you can share them and like credit the teacher, credit the person, and make sure that people just know where those teachings are coming from. That's definitely a surefire way to make sure that you're in the energy of appreciation, um, is to make sure that people know where the teachings are coming from and that you're not claiming to be the source of them. You know, that's how we pass them on with humility um, and, and with generosity. Um, yeah, those are, I guess, it's it's really, to me, it's a really tricky question. It's a really tricky question, because it comes down to the integrity that an individual holds within themselves. And I do believe that the teachings are meant for all of us. But not all of us are meant to take those teachings and package them up and sell them or present them to other people. That's mm-hmm. something completely different.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that makes so much sense. And that's so beautiful that the teachings are available like you know mm-hmm. what we can reflect on if it's there with the sincerity of heart just to for our own personal understanding of what is this experience I love how you called it an earth walk and to use it in that way for just to better ourselves and then as a result we'll you know just offer that heart space and that connection and that healing to others how we move through the world, not in a sense of like, this is my teaching, I'm going to as of, put it on to somebody else. And when you were expressing too, it did kind of make me think how the essence of yoga is often lost, because it's so um, commercialized. And, ca- you know, it's kind of become so far a lot of it, not all of it, of course, but the essence does get lost when it kind of goes out into that separate mind state that we were talking about before so I love that you're putting the emphasis on the respect and the and the sacredness the treasuring of the teachings as something sacred not something to be shared without thought or um just the the sacredness I love that Mm -hmm. and then it kind of leads to my next question I wonder if you could uh speak to how we can all you know as individuals and as a collective begin to reclaim or like we talked about before remember the truth of who we are and and I know that's something in your teachings that you teach others how to reclaim their culture and their identity and the truth of who they are like how can we start to work towards that as individuals and for the greater good
0: yeah well the way I see it these days is We can't emphasize too much going backwards, like going back to our roots is really important and do it if you can. Acknowledging that, like I said, our roots all around the world have been cut. And so for some people, it is nearly impossible to know what their, how their ancestors lived or any of those teachings that they they got lost, you know, they got lost in, in what has happened. So if you can do that, it's a good thing to do. At the same time, a big part of Indigenous worldview has to do with futurism, has to do with what we call dreaming, and building bridges and building that new pathway forward. So it's a combination of Rooting yourself into the ancient teachings and the ancient wisdom, but also being part of this dreaming collective to create the earth and the way of life that we really um, want to be living and want to be passing on to the next generations. So it's it's um, we want to look and focus our energy in both directions. I do think that they're equally important, but maybe not equally accessible at this point. For everybody, if your roots aren't as accessible, mm-hmm. um, then we have the system of yoga that takes you in and goes, okay, here's a culture you can be part of and you can share in. And we have the indigenous culture that says, okay, you need to find your place in the sacred, the sacred hoop. Come, you know, come and and learn these ways. So there are places that if we've lost connection to our roots, that still invite us in, which is great. Now the the futurism piece. The dreaming piece, I think, is one of the most important things that we should be and can be focusing our energies on right now. Because we, with the power of our minds unified, can create what we call miracle. And I've been thinking about miracles a lot lately. What is the science of miracle? And in a very simple way, when we come together as one heart and one mind, we create miracle. We create what we thought was impossible because our energies come together in that way. And then we manifest it or we bring it, we dream it into being. In order to do that, we need to gain control over our own energies. Enter yoga helps us to control our energies. So for those practitioners who are looking for, you know, that pathway forward, stay strongly committed to your practice. If you do not have a teacher that can bring you further down the path, maybe explore and find one and you'll know when you when you find that teacher that can bring you further down the path and further inside of yourself okay so the self practice is really important so you gain control over your energies and then your mind becomes clear if you can catch the vision of yoga that's what we want to do because the vision of yoga is that anchor to help us move forward into the dreaming right the other piece that we all need to do and that many of us are doing now is what we call decolonizing the mind right and we've mentioned it a few times in this conversation we all picked up this program us two-leggeds are so easily programmable so easily programmable Mm -hmm. which means we are also easily you know deprogrammable we can you know unprogram ourselves does take effort but it's important to realize that the, the the program running in your mind, it is a choice, you have to become aware of it. And then you have to find some way of discerning what belongs and what doesn't and then pluck those thoughts out, and then put new ones in there. This is essentially the practice of yoga. So and what we might call decolonizing your mind. So that's the second piece. That's really, um, I think that's really important. And in order to do that, we need to find people who are doing that, that help us with it, you know, to deprogram, to catch the vision, to dream a new dream. I would say if you're a caring yogi, Caring yoga practitioner that wants to do something great in the world, follow people that are so clearly on mission, big missions, and make sure that you visit what their work is all the time, you know, some of the the people that come to mind are um, Bandana Shiva and Sadhguru, you know, save the soil, like, Connect to people or communities that are really doing big, big vision things. And that's also part of the yoga practice. And that can help lead us down the path as well. So it's it's this combination of going deep inside yourself with the teachings, doing letting yoga um, clear your mind. It's mind medicine. That's what it's actually for. So we can see clearly. And then connect to community that is doing what they can to take care of land, earth, um each other and the future
1: mm. wow I loved all of those pieces and how you so are you're able to articulate so beautifully how they weave together mm. and when you were speaking about people on big mission you know I'm looking at you as someone that's on a big mission if you had to express what your mission is what on this like you said your dharma on this on this earth walk what is it
0: mm. well I'd say that I'm still in the discovery and the curiosity and the inquiry of that as it, as it shifts, I feel like I'm, I'm definitely here to help people see clearly to uh, connect to the heart of humanity, to, um, to integrate the human experience I feel, I often feel like some kind of cosmic, I don't know, Jedi warrior kind of like (laughs) moving through the realms, you know, um, and helping people understand how to access spirit, um, and, and just find that balance in, in their medicine wheel, in their being. It's like, um, Hacking the system, hacking the system. I think that I'm here to help really anchor in that big vision, that big vision of of peace and harmony and generosity and reciprocity. But in order to do that, helping people clear their landscapes so that they can see that vision. I just sort of feel like a kind of like a janitor. It's like, okay, this is how you clean clean the cobwebs up so you can catch that vision. (laughs) And then hopefully from there, then they can see what their dharma is, and then they can find that place in the circle and, and find their own place of service. Mm. Um, I I really just, I just feel like I'm in service, you know, honestly, any, any small way that I can be.
1: Beautiful. You know. The Jedi janitor of the cosmos. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. All right. Well, that is a perfect place to end, you know, talking about the futurism and the mission and you know why you're here. So with that, I always ask the respected guests to leave the listeners and myself with any words of wisdom mm-hmm. for their journey and for their own reflection and expansion. Mm. Um take care of yourself.
0: Like really learn what it means to take care of yourself and um, commit to your healing work. It's, it's really, we can't transform the world around us unless we learn how to transform ourselves. And I think that that's why I'm, uh, I'm so deeply on this, this yoga path, because you have to put yourself into the fires of transformation in order to become part of, of the the grander transformation that's happening. And that's how you can take your place. So, and, and like commit, figure out how to become disciplined and in service to the the greater good and do something, you know, do something. Um, We're in a very delicate uh, time on earth. And we can either lose ourselves in distraction and self-doubt and despair, or we can find the medicine that works for us and be part of, of the dreaming. So um, for those that maybe haven't found something that works, keep trying and keep trying things until you find medicine that works for you, that clears your mind and gives you that sense of, of belief in a better future. Yeah.
1: Thank you. That's beautiful. And just to to wind up, is there any like what are you working on next? Is there anything you want to share with the listeners where they can connect with you and learn from you more? Sure. Um, so my
0: greatest excitement right now is I am developing a breathwork, an online breathwork series, which will drop sometime in the new year. That's really where I wanna where I wanna bring people to really get get that medicine in really deep. So, I would say just stay tuned for that on my socials and um, that's my jam these days. <laughs> it's it's Amazing. all the, the breath and the pranayama. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I'll be definitely watching out for the breath work, work in the in the new year and I'll leave your social channels in the in the show notes and yeah, I just really want to thank you for the, the generosity of this conversation for your time. For your wisdom, for your words, it's just been really beautiful to share this time together.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, we say "Nina nascomon" in Cree, which um, is uh, feeling grateful. I'm feeling grateful right now. It was lovely to talk to you, and thanks for just being um, a curious, a curious yogi
1: like like we are. Thanks for listening to this episode of a curious yogi podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes. It really, really helps the show reach more people. Or share on social, and of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate the love, and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.